you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17, for those of you who are using your phones, push and swipe to John 17. Part two of this incredible glimpse that we get into the heavenlies. Conversation between father and son. Between God the Father and God the Son. As Jesus prays mostly for you, for me, for us, for the church, in this second and closing portion of this prayer where Jesus has stopped along the way to the garden maybe just in the edge of the garden somewhere in the journey he's about to be arrested he takes these final moments and if you read this prayer straight through it might take you a total of five or six minutes but in it so much about how God desires our lives to look and how much we should be like Jesus. We see here revealed to us the prayer life of the Savior. And as I would be remiss to not remind you, if Jesus had a vibrant prayer life and he was God incarnate in human flesh, how much more so do you think we need to have a vibrant prayer life? Sometimes I wonder if the things that we go through and suffer with would not be lessened or eliminated if we would simply take those things to the Lord in prayer. But we often try and use our fleshly resources to accomplish heavenly things. And so we have a picture here of the Lord Jesus speaking this incredible passage where you can insert your own name as he says for them for those who will believe he's really praying for you would you join me and let's take this passage to the king and we'll read it together we'll pick up in verse 13 father we thank you for letting us have a glimpse into the heavenlies. For seeing what a conversation looks like between you, Father, and you, Jesus. Between Father and Son on our behalf. Pray that we would grow, that we would learn, be encouraged, strengthened, built up as we listen into this amazing prayer. Thank you, Lord, for loving us saving us by grace, giving us the gift of faith. Strengthen our faith this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 13 here in John 17. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they, you, me, us, those who were alive then, the disciples, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The Lord wants us to be strengthened. The Lord wants us to be joy-filled. The Lord desires 
for our lives to be marked by his goodness working in us, to us, and through us. But we have to acquire that. We have to ask for it. We have to beseech the throne of heaven if we really want all that God has for us. Well, God's universally good to everyone. He's providentially good to everyone. You'll receive some blessings from the Lord almost no matter what you do. You have the blessing of life. You're going to have that every day you wake up until you don't wake up. But God wants more in your life. He desires for you to have bigger and better things in that sense, spiritually. He's not done with us. He wants us to grow in our faith and be more useful for his kingdom. But often we don't ask for the things he wants us to have. And so he's sitting there with this bag of blessings that he wants to give us. And he's simply waiting for us to communicate to him that we'd like to have them. That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word. And notice the focus here in the first few verses. On the power of the word, the truth of the word, the word of God. The primary reason that we as a church focus in on the word of God It is God's word that is truth. Amen? And if we want to know what God wants for us, then we need to know his word. If I get up here and babble psychology to you, and again, I'm not against all psychology or psychologists, but the word of God is truth. Genesis Genesis to Revelation is truth. It's God speaking into our lives. If we really want to know what God wants us to know, we need to know his word. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. It should be no shock to anyone who's walked with the Lord for any length of period of time that we have some issues walking in this world as believers. Amen? There is temptation around every corner. There are things to draw you away from God. In fact, the world, the substance of it, is largely opposed to the things of God. That doesn't mean that everything is anti-God, but most things tend towards things that are not of the Lord, even good things. And the reason that is is because this world, for us as believers, is actually not our home. We belong to another kingdom. And that kingdom is coming. We have it within us right now, and one day we're going to receive it in fullness. This world is not our home. So, the way this world works is going to be opposed to the way the Lord works in your life very often, frequently. You're going to have a tough time at work. Because you love the Lord, you're going to refuse to cheat on those daily reports. You're going to speak the truth to that customer that calls in, and you're going to actually tell them, no, it's really going to be three weeks before we get there, not three hours. 
You're going to pull out those tax forms and you're actually going to write a check as opposed to lie about the number of dependents that you have. If anyone got afflicted, don't blame me. (laughs) We're going to have trouble in this world because we do things the Lord's way. The truth of God is in us. That's our lessons for life and living. That's how we conduct ourselves in this world. And the more like Jesus you are, the more you will stand out from the way this world works and functions. Jesus is praying these things for you, for me, for us. Now, I want you to know, I, I wish Jesus had left this verse out, just being honest. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Why? Get us out of here. We want to go home. He's already said this world isn't our home. No, he's left us here for a purpose. You have, as a believer, a purpose for why the Lord has left you here on this earth. And your whole life is to be spent for the king and for his kingdom until he takes you home. I don't pray that you take them out of this world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. There it is. The things the enemy has planned for this world and for you, for your family, Jesus prayed for you to God the Father not to take you out of the trial, not to pull you from every trouble, not to work in such a way that no evil thing ever touches you, but that you would be victorious when it does. Amen? Because you are more than conquerors through him who loves you. He's overcome the world, and because of him, you've overcome the world. We fight from the victory we have in Christ, not for the victory. Amen? We're already victors. If you're here and you're a child of God, you're going to heaven, the the war has been won in that sense. We're just waiting for the victory parade. That's it. But there's a few skirmishes left on this earth. Amen? The devil hasn't given up. He hasn't quite figured out he's already lost. And so he's going to have a few snipers here or there that are going to shoot at you. But greater is he who's in us than he who occupies this world in its time. For they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them by your, notice it, your truth. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, amen? And that truth we find out is, notice what comes next, your word is truth. The word that was spoken to the apostles, to the disciples, to the authors of the Old and the New Testament, the word of God is truth. And in fact, what we know about God, we chiefly know through the revelation of the word of God. Amen? Romans 10, 17 is very plain. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What we hear and how we hear it comes from the word itself. It comes from your Bible. 
That's why the child of God that rejects the word of God needs to question whether they're actually a child of God or not. Because I don't know how you know Jesus without knowing the word. You're saved by grace through faith, but that faith comes by hearing the word of God. How you're supposed to live comes by hearing and living out the word of God. Jesus is speaking of the supremacy of his own word. Your word is truth, and as you sent me into the world, verse 18, I also have sent them into the world. In form and function, we have now taken over, if you will, metaphorically speaking, not as God, but we have taken over the ministry that Jesus had while he was here. He was revealing himself to the world. We now reveal him to the world. The way we live, how we function, what we say, the gospel we share, the missions that we attend to, the things that we do are supposed to bring the rest of the world to Jesus. In other words, we're continuing his mission. He completed all that was necessary for us to be successful He is at home in heaven interceding for us as we live out our lives until he comes for us either one at a time or all at once, the rapture of the church. So we're on mission. Every day of our lives has adventure in that sense. It's like we're we're here to do the bidding of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's mind-boggling. And for their their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. He's saying, look, I was perfect while I was here. I gave them a perfect example so that they will be without all any any of the resources that you need. We know what that looks like in Christ Jesus. You can pattern your life. You can model your life after the way Jesus lived his life while he was here. They know what we know. They knew what sanctification looked like because Jesus lived a sanctified life. We don't find him getting all tied up in knots over every single governmental thing that comes down the pipe. Jesus wasn't out on a picket line. He was busy preaching the good news of the gospel. And while it's not inherently wrong to do those things, very often they are a waste of time. Because the real issue is not those things that are of this world. The issue is the hearts of people not being transformed by the renewing of their mind through Christ Jesus. Amen? If you can get to the heart, you'll get to the mind. If you preach the gospel and people get saved, what happens to them? Their thinking gets transformed. Amen? And so the things that need to change get changed. We need to make sure that we keep Christ first. But the word of God becomes our instrument of direction. Notice verse 21. That they all may be one. So when I tell you that there is exactly one church on the face of the earth, it comes from Jesus. That they may be one. 
There are many representations of that church, but the one true church is made up of every last believer that has ever lived. That's God's plan for his church. And it's a beautiful thing because it sets aside everything that divides us. There's one gospel, there's one faith, there's one hope, there's one Lord, there's one Lord who's over everyone, and there's one church. And we're all in it. It should unify us. The picture here is the unity of the body of Christ as governed by the word of God. As you, Father, and are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Do you see it? Oh, there will be differences in how we think. There will be differences in the way that we potentially do things, but at the end of the day, no two believers should ever stand on this earth and shout at one another, well, I, my God's right. There's one faith. And if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you belong to the one faith. Make sure you get that part right. Because I think it's one of the things that we struggle with in our world. We, we've divided up the body of Christ. And it ought not be so. This is the prayer of Jesus. So if you're one of those people, you only like the words, you like the red words, these are red words. That the world, check this out, the unity of the body of Christ is one of the chief things that the Lord wants to use to tell the world about who he is. Can I tell you that one of the most common reasons that people tell me they don't want to have anything to do with God or church is the church. People. They said, well, they can't get along with each other. I went to church and all they did was badmouth everybody else that wasn't at their church. All they did was complain. And yet Jesus says, he's praying to God the Father that we would be one so that the world would know God. When the church becomes divided, what hope is there for the rest of the world? If we are supposed to have the living Christ in us and represent the true and the living God and we can't get along... What do you think the world thinks? We need to be one family. And praise God, I, I am beyond grateful to the Lord for the work that he's doing here in us. But we need to share that with other people. We need to love on people. We need to learn to, to take differences and say for the sake of Christ, I'm not going to let this divide. I won't do it. That the world may believe that you sent me and the glory with which you gave me I have given them 
that they may be one just as we are one. And in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Do you understand how important the unity of the body of Christ is to the Lord Jesus as he prays this? This is the final thing that we have recorded that Jesus prays directly to God on our behalf. And what does he pray for? Let them be one. Not two, not ten. One. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. You realize what that says? Jesus' prayer is that we're all going to be as one in the one heaven where he is with the one Father God. Amen? You can kind of see how it attaches to the unity that we're supposed to have in Christ, don't you? No, whether you ever thought about this, but you're going to spend eternity with each other. You might want to start getting along. Because there ain't going to be no gated communities in heaven. There will be no gentrification in heaven. There isn't going to be a bad spot in heaven and a good spot in heaven. There's just going to be heaven. And where he is, you shall be also. Amen? Until we get there, we're going to be next door neighbors. So it would probably be a good idea if we learned how to get along. Amen? I don't see that to chastise, but sometimes we think it's like, well, I hope he doesn't make it. <laughs> You're not thinking in an eternal sense, which is like, man, I don't want to live next door to him in any mansion. Okay. I was like, man, I had to put up with him for years. I'm like, no way. You're spending eternity together. Start looking at that person next to you right now and going, man, I'm going to live next door to you. Think about it. You're going to be wandering around heaven with Jesus together. Hallelujah. Amen. That they may behold my glory which you've given me realize we get to heaven there's not going to be any sun or moon or stars in heaven the glory of the lord himself will be our light by day there'll be no night the glory of the lord will fill the heavens imagine that for those of you who are night people i'm sorry No more darkness, amen? (laughs) For you loved me before the foundation of the world. The same love that Jesus has for the Father, the Father has for the Son, is the love that they have for us. And in that, Jesus was loved before the foundation of the world. You were loved before the foundation of the world. Amen? Amen? How do you not know that God loves you? 
There are times people will ask me, you know, some crazy theologic question. We were talking about Cain and Abel's brothers and sisters and where did all the population of, you know, the book of Genesis come from? At the end of the day, we might not be able to give you every last name in the whole Old Testament, but I can tell you a couple of things. Jesus loves you. Amen? And we're all going to heaven. Amen? I want you to see the simplicity of what Jesus is praying for us because sometimes we overcomplicate things. We make big deals out of little things. O righteous Father, the world has not known you. The world still doesn't know God. The carnal mind can't know God, as Paul would write to the church at Corinth. Spiritual things are spiritually appraised. But they're supposed to be able to look at the church and get a glimpse. They're supposed to be able to look at your life and tell what Jesus looks like and how Jesus would talk. What he would do in those times of trouble in their lives. You're supposed to be, in that sense, a little bit of Jesus to them. But these have known that you sent me, and I have declared them declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen? You see, we have the Lord's word on this. These are truths. These are not debatable issues. This isn't the Lord Jesus you know, talking to the disciples and having a, a, an argument with them about what's true and what's not true. This is God the Son to God the Father. These are the things that the Lord is saying. These are true, Jeff. This is truth. As the Lord Jesus gave the word of God to the disciples, that's why Paul would write to Timothy there in 2 Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's the reason that it is for the purpose or is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. That the man, the woman of God might be complete, lacking no thing, thoroughly equipped for the work that God's called you to. That's the function of the word of God. If Jesus is the truth and Jesus is the word, remember the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It was the word of God speaking forth the word of God to the disciples. And as they wrote it down, they communicated to us heavenly truth. That's why Peter would write that it's of no private interpretation, but every bit of it was spoken to us by God as the Holy Spirit worked on those 40 different authors over 1,500 years of time who wrote 66 different books, a unified message from outside of our space and our time given directly to us that is without controversy the most analyzed book and the bestseller of all human history. There is more textual evidence for the Bible than any other work of human antiquity. The reason it's been preserved the way it's been preserved is it didn't come from man, it came from God. And so Jesus says, look, you guys need to be students of the word. 
What does the word do in our lives? What are the works of the word in that sense? Well, one thing you can see here, it gives joy. Gives that deep abiding joy. Not joy like the world has, but joy that's from heaven. It's joy in the trial. It's joy in the tribulation. It comes from our transformation of our minds. It it comes from God taking horrible circumstances and somehow working them together for a good in our life. It's a different kind of joy than the world seeks after. We often picture Jesus as a man of sorrows, but he was a man of great joy. He knew what he was doing. He knew where he was going. And so we can rest and trust in that as he spoke forth those things in the word to us. He's speaking this love letter to you and to me. You see, the world tries to compete for the love of God the Father. That's what we call works. People try and work their way into the right favor of God. Look, there's no works you can do that can get you there. The relationship that you have with God the Father comes through Christ the Son, and it's a gift through faith. By believing in the only begotten Son, you have a right relationship with God, and thereby you can receive the joy that God wants for you. Not freedom from every trial or every tribulation. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to go through stuff. But in the midst of the stuff, you're going to have this irrepressible joy that understands that if the worst happens and you take your last breath, the next thing you're going to see is Jesus. Amen? I don't know about you, but that gets me through a lot of days. It's like, I I don't know what to say to that family who's lost their son, their daughter. There aren't any words. What do you say to a parent who's lost their child? I don't know, because every word seems hollow. Everything seems to have way less meaning than it needs to have. My comfort is the Lord that one day there will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow. Every tear will be wiped away. Someday, when we get to heaven, This earthly life will be over, and it gives me great joy. Because sometimes this is not the best place to be. Amen? You see, the word works that in us. We know those things through the truth of the word. It enables us to know what his love looks like. D.L. Moody, in the very front of his Bible, a handwritten quote It says, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. The enemy wants to tell you, don't read your Bible. It is a tragedy sometimes when I see Christians carrying Bibles and you can tell they've never been opened. There's no ragged edge. The pages are all still stuck together. The gold gild on the side Looks like it's shining in the noonday sun. (laughs) If you don't have to replace your Bible occasionally, I would encourage you to work harder at ruining one. (laughs) Amen? 
it ought to start swelling up because you got notes in there and The word works in our lives and it gives us that guide to practical holy living. And that's hard to do. It's powerful, transforming truth that we learn when we read the word. We begin to live those things out. It begins to change the way we function. That's why here in this passage and elsewhere in John, look, the, the word is truth. The son of God, as we saw in chapter 14, is truth. In John's letters, we find out the Holy Spirit is truth. The source of truth that you have that sits in your laps, whether it's on a phone or whether it's on a tablet or whether it's the Bible that you tote around, is truth. It is not negotiable. You see, a lot of people look at the Bible like, well, you know, I, I, I really love reading parts of John's gospel, but skip this stuff in Romans chapter 1. I'm not a big fan of the letters of Paul because he keeps telling me I really need to change. Well, I wasn't Paul that was writing. That was the Holy Spirit writing to the church saying, look, this is what I expect out of my kids. These are the house rules. And just like your kids don't like some of the rules that you lay down in your home, we as God's kids don't like some of the rules that he lays down in the word. Well, I want to be bitter. I'm perfectly happy in my nastiness right now. And if you knew what was going on in my life, you would be just as angry. No. Thy word, O God, is truth. It's truth. The only question is, are you going to receive it as truth or is it going to be a list of kind of nice suggestions? It's truth. We can overcome the world if we will learn truth. And see, here's what happens. Your mind will learn the truth through God's word. Your heart will love God's truth. And your will, your spirit, if you will, will live out God's truth if you allow it to do those works in your life. You see, it affects everything about you if you will let it do that. It's up to you. You have a choice as to whether you want to receive that truth or not. You can receive it and believe it or you can reject it and say to, with it. No, I'm not believing that. God wants us to be people of truth. And here's why. Let's try and wrap this up. You see, ultimately, we share the Lord's glory. Have you ever thought about that? That they might experience the glory that you have given me. I I don't know what you think about when you think about being in heaven in the presence of God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the glory of the Lord being the light of our existence. But I'm pretty sure there's some things going on in my life that don't belong there. Amen? We share in the glory of the Lord. And so here's what happens if we're really walking as God's kids... Every last one of us is then forced to take stock in our own lives with where we don't match up to the standard of the word. And I have to change. 
And you have to change. And we have to change because ultimately we're all going to the same heaven, to the same glory, and the same standard. And so Jesus is saying, I would pray that they would get that now. That there would be a unique and wonderful unity to the body of Christ. Christian harmony, if you want to call it that way, is not based on external things. It's not us all looking the same. It's all being transformed by the one transforming one, the Lord Jesus. Through the power of his word working in us. And so here's what happens. That unity becomes very natural because it's an internal change that's making that unity happen. To the person who is bitter, that bitterness goes away. To that person who is hateful, that hate goes away. To that person who is filled with something that's not of God, the Lord begins to work on it and pulls it out. And all of a sudden, we're just like homogenized together. We all start to look like Jesus. We talk like Jesus, we walk like Jesus, we act like Jesus. That produces the unity that he's asking for. You see, the lost world can't do that. The lost world cannot produce that because it comes from the truth of knowing who we are. That's why I said, look, there's only going to be one heaven. So we should start acting like there's one heaven right now. What does the world see in you? What does the world see in me? Because one day, we're all going to be in that one heaven. The reason we know that is there was only one price that was paid, amen? Jesus didn't have levels of salvation. It's like, well, some of you really need an extra dose, so... Jesus would have had to die for me like nine times. You know, there was one price and it was sufficient for everyone. Amen? So no matter where you are in the scale of sinfulness, it took the blood of Christ to redeem you, period. Jesus made one promise to everyone. He didn't say, well, you know, there's like this, when you get to heaven, there's going to be like, like Club Jesus, and that's where all the really holy people go. So you'll like have your own section of heaven, and it'll have a better playground and things, you know, for your kids. You know, there'll be a golf course there. I don't know. No, he made one promise to everyone. If you believe in me, you shall have eternal life. Amen? Amen. And he prayed one prayer. You see the uniqueness there? One, 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 one. There's one heaven. There's one plan of salvation. There's one Savior. We're all part of that oneness. It's a beautiful picture of what the Lord wants for us right now. And Jesus prayed for that. I want to give you just a couple of things and we'll do it quick. Lessons from the prayer life of Jesus with this regard. Because this is Jesus praying. This is Jesus praying. And I want to draw your attention to four very simple things that come from other 
times when we find Jesus praying. In Mark chapter 1, there in verse 35, this beautiful picture that begins in the life of Jesus and in the morning rising up a great while before day he went out again this is Jesus and departed to a solitary place and he prayed spend some time in the morning with Jesus praying if Jesus who was God felt it needful to get up in the morning and spend some time with his father how much more so do we need to spend some time in the morning with Jesus? Amen? You know, sometimes I think we go through stuff because we do not ask the Lord first. We just kind of run headlong into the day and we wonder why we get run over by a truck, (laughs) metaphorically speaking. How about in the evening? Mark chapter 6, notice this, verse 46 and 47. Again, this is Jesus. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when evening was come, and the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he was on land alone. Jesus is praying in the evening, too. Some of us are, well, I pray in the morning. Some of us are, I pray in the evening. Ah, you might want to pray all the time. You see, because the only answer to the storm in your life, the the shrieking winds of the crazy things that you're going to face is taking them to Jesus. So pray in the morning, pray in the evening. And Luke chapter 5. So much more when there was fame abroad of him. And great multitudes came together to hear, and he healed them by their, from their infirmities, that he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Take some time to get away from your insane, crazy schedule and spend it with Jesus. Praying. Seeking the Lord. And I'm not talking about you buying a robe and going to some mountaintop someplace. If that's your gig, God bless you. But taking time to get away from the stuff that normally occupies your time, your space, your mind. Because sometimes life just happens, amen? And it will always happen here in L.A. You're going to wake up in the morning, life's just coming. Sometimes you need to just take some time to stop and say, you know what? I'm going to go spend some time with Jesus. Sometimes we call that vacation. Sometimes we call that a PTO. Sometimes we call that, I'm taking a long lunch. Amen? And a fourth and final thing. Look what Jesus does. You see, you would think, Jesus being God, he would just kind of mind meld with the Father, right? You know, it's kind of like a Vulcan thing. You can see Spock kind of, you know, Jesus and the Father. It's like, I got it. Mm-mm. That's not what Jesus did. Luke 6. And it came to pass in those days that we, he went out onto a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. That's persistence. Jesus was persistent in prayer. And again, your prayer life may look different than my prayer life, but the point is be persistent. 
fail to give up. Don't fail and give up. Fail to give up. I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep praying until God answers. These four things. Morning time. Evening time. Getaway time. And never surrender. Those are from the prayer life of Jesus. What did he pray? That we would be sanctified. That we would be unified. That we would be glorified. And we would love like he loves. That is a prayer of a lifetime. And if we will continue in that type of prayer life, that is the type of life that we will have. Because when we ask of him that which is his will, we know, Jesus said, we have it. This is what Jesus prayed for us. So if we will pray this for ourselves, we know what the answer is going to be. Amen? He's going to give it. So let's pray to that end. Would you stand and we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you let us listen in. While you, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and Father God talked and prayed together. And Lord, we pray that we'd be people of prayer who seek you in the morning, who seek you in the evening who aren't afraid to get away and to spend time with you, who refuse to give up, who never cease, as Paul said, to pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us, listening to us, Lord. And we ask for these things. We ask for unity in the body of Christ. We ask for love. We ask for the truth of your word to be made manifest in our lives. We ask that you would bless us and fill us, Lord. Make us a church that is attractive to the world because we look like you, Jesus. We love you. We bless you. We praise you. And God's people all said, amen.